0: uh ladies and gentlemen boys and girls and friends beyond the binary my patrons uh you know i usually put ads on here patrons but if you're looking for a holiday gift uh, like uh you don't have much time but uh, you could get a song from the mystery Bard, jonathan man over at song.jonathanman.net uh and commission the mystery Bard for a song if you're looking for something uh thanks and thanks for supporting the show let's keep the show going uh, hey, you! Have all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep. Welcome. Uh, this is Sleep with Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest, and what I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's keeping you whether it's uh, thoughts, uh, feelings. Uh, Physical sensations, uh, like uh, anything you're going through, you know, seasonal stuff, uh, colds, uh, you know, wind, whatever's keeping you awake. I'd like to distract you from that to bring you into this uh, aural, A U R A L, I think, uh, safe place uh, to welcome you in. Come on in. You can leave the door open or you can close it. You can come in through the beaded curtains, uh, the velvet curtain. We have it all here. This safe place has multiple entry points, but none of them you really notice uh, either. You can come in through a rectangle, a square, an oval, a circle, any other, you know, what doorway shape do you prefer to come in? We have a Hobbit uh, anteroom, so you can come in through a Hobbit house, uh, look around, have a spice cake or whatever the heck they eat, uh, seed cake, I can't remember. And then come on into the safe place. Uh, I wouldn't mind living in a hobbit house, to be honest, uh, probably because of my apartment, uh, but uh, definitely more cozy. Uh, let's see. So you would, uh, like, oh, safe place. So come on in. I think I would, like, do you like be- like beaded curtains? We, and even for the season, we have jangle curtains. Uh, we also have silent jangle curtains, jingle curtains. Uh, we have con- c- c- candy cane curtains. Uh, that's my new. That's going to be my new uh, holiday styling guide. Uh, oh no, that's a Hallmark Channel. I'm pitch. That's a pitch I have coming up this week. You know, all those home shows are big, and I'm pitching them. Well, it's an imaginary pitch. Uh, it Happens uh, like uh, in the moments before I don't go to sleep. Uh, and I say I'm pitching. Yeah, I'm pitching a new show. It's uh, home home makeovers. Uh, for the holidays. Oh, like those extreme Christmas light shows. Those are great. No, this is called candy cane curtains. It's uh, i I'm going to cover, I'm going to go to people's houses and put a door like in a doorway. I'm going to put up a candy cane curtains. Oh, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to state, you know, those, those mini candy canes that come in that cellophane wrap. I'm just going to staple the like lines of those. Uh, that's the show. Okay. And what else? Well, maybe I'll sing. What Christmas carols do you have the rights to that I could sing on on there? Uh, Like usually people can't tell when I'm singing anyway. So would you have to pay the rights if they don't know what they don't even know what song I'm singing? I'm the only person that fantasizes about stuff and I still get, you know, they say, I'm sorry. So, Candy Cane Curry. Oh, anyway, if you're new here, welcome to Safe Place. I was over describing it. That's a method I use on the show when I send my voice across the deep, dark night. I try to use the lulling, soothing, creaky, dulcet tones. And I realize these dulcet, dul- creaky, dulcet tones aren't for any everybody. Uh, but I'm just here to help. Uh, so, oh, structure. So, if you're new, here's the structure show. First uh, four to six minutes are business. Uh, since it's a sleep podcast, we try to get that out of the way up front. If you're new, maybe you didn't notice that. Thanks for sticking through it. I realized that, like, uh, not really any other way to conduct a sleep podcast and keep it free with the uh, 600 archived shows. Uh, critical for regular listeners to support the sponsors or support the show. But if you're new, not that important. And uh, let's see. So that's the first few minutes. Then there's an intro, which we're like uh, four minutes into or so where I usually get distracted, I use over, what did I call that, over-description, over-involvement. I said, let me describe a safe place, and then I started seeing all these different nice doorways or entry points, whatever I called them, Uh, and then I was thinking, "Hmm, what one would I want to go, like, then I guess my ego can get in the way, too. It says, well, what one would we go through and usually like the intro like it kind of sets a mood for the podcast some people use it while they're getting ready for bed some people fall asleep to it some people skip it the timestamps are in the show notes uh let's see so yeah like uh what was i gonna say i got distracted there by, by my own brain oh so the intro like uh just just a way to like uh it's like something familiar, but I do a new one every episode, so everybody gets gets in the you know gets in the mood to fall asleep or you fall asleep. Also, like you don't need like uh, what's the thing I was trying to say? Um, huh, give me. Oh, you don't need to listen. So this is a podcast. You, you like? Uh, oh wait, now I'm mixed up. So that's the structure. I'm talking about the structure of the show. Sorry, I got these like a Christmas rabbit. I also, I'm not kidding. I see cr- rabbits running down Christmas hills in my brain. I don't even know what a Christmas hill is. Uh, but so I'm going to, um, so there's an intro. Then there's an episode. Tonight's the tale of the tape where I try to remember uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and then like i'll probably like three quarters of the way through depending on how bad my memory is i'll look it up on wikipedia to try to correct myself uh it won't be an accurate one it'll be the tape that runs in my brain and so i'll try to remember that uh in you know the parts i do remember but it'll be like uh you know fixating on probably stuff uh and mostly trying to remember people's names, uh, who, who were in the roles, which it would, would take me a while. And then I get, I say, is that the kid from that movie or was he on the other one? What about, uh, like, uh, and they say Beverly D'Angelo. I remember that one, D'Angelo. I didn't remember when I started this intro though. I said, Hmm, I wonder if you'll remember but his name, but it hit me Beverly D'Angelo just now. So that's one. I'll probably call Randy. I'll probably call Randy, Blank- Randy, whoever, Randy Newman a lot by accident. Uh, so that's not a super big stretch. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is Randy new? They both seem like they're very tall. But I'll try to remember Randy's Randy Quaid, uh, Dennis. And, uh, uh, is the fabulous Baker boys? Is it- are they all Quaid's? Uh, is Randy Quaid related to Dennis Quaid? Oh, I think I'm thinking of Bobby. Uh. Maybe I'm thinking, is there a Bobby Quaid? Bobby Quaid, are you listening? Bobby Quaid. That sounds like a 1970s quarterback. Bobby Quaid threw for 4,000 yards uh, for the Houston Oilers. I think I'm thinking of the Bacon Brothers, the Fabulous Bacon Brothers. Yeah, uh, Kevin Bacon and Bud Bacon. But it's not Bud, it's Bo Bridges. How did I get Bo Bridges... How did I mix up Bo Bridges and Randy Quaid? This is, this is how my brain works. This is live. Uh so I started thinking of so I tried I called Randy Quaid Randy Newman because I knew I'd do that by accident. Then I tried to think of Randy Quaid's name. As soon as I said that, instead of picturing Dennis Quaid, I pictured Bo Bridges. And then I said, Isn't Bo Bridges in a band with uh and now, just now, as I'm talking, I realize Jeff Bridges is probably Bob Bridges' brother. Not kidding. Uh, let's trace these thoughts back. So then I pictured Bob Bridges in my brain as soon as it, with Randy Newman. Then I pictured Dennis Quaid. Then I pictured the three of them jamming on stage. Uh, but I guess Kevin Bacon was there, but he was still in a dreamlike state. Uh, I mean, he's dreamy. And then I trying to remember who saw the Bacon brothers live. I think it was my my siblings uh, one New Year's Eve. So then I was thinking, oh wait, Kevin does Kevin Bacon have a brother? He must. And I said, is it Bo Bacon? And then I mean, inside I was giggling hysterically because it's just like anytime you feel down, say Bo Bacon, W W B B. What would Bo Bacon say about this? Uh, probably say, let me get, let me call Kevin. And let's jam it out. Uh, We'll get Randy Quaid and Randy Newman on the horn. Uh, But, yeah, so then it was, uh, like, uh, a Bridges, and I didn't even think of Jeff Bridges. That took me a while. I wonder if all of, uh, like, uh, I don't know. That's a lot of siblings, though. But Randy Quaid, yeah, maybe is related to Dennis Quaid. I can't confirm that, or, uh, like, uh, for sure. And I don't know if they have a band with them. But, okay, so I'm going to try Okay, so I'm gonna try to remember uh, Natural Lampoon's vacation. And then we'll have some thank yous at the end. Uh, so I get distracted. So here's the thing. You don't need to listen to me. I think that's, here, I think I made two things clear. You don't really need to listen to me. I'm here to help. I, I don't know if I made that clear. But I bet you you weren't thinking about whatever was keeping you awake while I was trying to think of, uh, Bo Bacon, you know, and I think that may 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 not have made you laugh, uh, but it said, well, uh, give me a side of Bo Bacon. That sounds like uh, something somebody would say to the things that were said in a uh, bed and bread. Well, I'll take that with a side of Bo Bacon, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, anyway, so they, those are people that it came up in my brain. So you don't need to listen to me. You're also under pressure to fall asleep. I'll be here for an hour. Uh, Because I know there's listeners that can't fall asleep or don't fall asleep or that listen while they're sewing or coding or painting or trying to unwind or relax like uh, something's uh, spurted up in the moment and they say, okay, I need to take a few minutes here. I'm here to help Uh, because I've been there in the deep dark night tossing and turning. Last night, uh, I could not sleep. Uh, It was just... uh, one of those, another baffling, I read until I, my eye, I could barely keep my eyes open, closed my book, turned out the lights, and, uh, then it was on, on and on, until almost the break dawn. So I've been there, and I want to help. I want to help take your mind off of stuff, uh, whatever it is, and be your companion while you drift off into dreamland, and I hope I can. Now, this podcast does not work for everybody, and, uh, like, give it a few tries, uh and I can, I can feel the resistance because I get like usually like an email a day, uh, from somebody a podcast may not have worked for. My personality may not have meshed with yours. Uh, and I would say it's cool. Uh, there's a lot of stuff out there. Try or give the show a few tries or look on iTunes. There's thousands of reviews. Almost every single one of them says I was skeptical and then I gave it a few tries and it helped, uh, or maybe your gut's right, this podcast won't help you, and I'm sorry. Uh, but I listen to, uh, uh, there's like, a, I've tried Binaural Beats, i tried Rain, Pink Noise, uh, LibriVox, audiobooks, Big Read-style you know, read audiobooks. Uh, so I hope one of those will help. Uh, but either way, I'm glad you're here. I work very hard on the show uh, because I really... Uh, yearn and strive to help you fall asleep. Thanks for coming by. All right, so here we are. We're going to be talking about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And this was a time, I think this was the tail end of movie, like uh, uh, feature releases, movie theater releases being, um, like uh, regularly dubbed National Lampoon's uh, movies, but they would come like in less frequency. Maybe they never came in any type of frequency. And I don't really know too much about National Lampoon's other than I've liked a lot of the movies. Uh, And, uh, like, it was a brand that kind of stood for a certain type of quality humor. Uh, But this movie is called National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And I guess, I don't know if now it's called Christmas Vacation. That just doesn't get, like, it has to be, I think, in my opinion, it has to be called National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And to those of you that have seen the movie as many times as me uh, know that it has, like, a great song that goes with it. It's not so much an earworm unless you remember it, so I'm not going to try to make you remember it. And I don't know if the theme song is at the beginning or the end where there's, like, an animated sequence uh, of, like, uh, a goofy, like, human, like, I guess which would be Chevy Chase. Uh, like a pop, the theme song's poppy. It never made it into the main Christmas carol lexicon, uh, cause it's really kind of, uh, it's kind of more of a movie theme song, uh, than like, it's like very related to the movie. And I think this movie's probably, uh, yeah, we should talk about this up front. It probably has been overplayed. Uh, I mean, with the way, way uh, holiday movies, I think it's one of those movies that's uh, suffered from overexposure, in my opinion, and with my personal relationship with it. And I don't know what year it came out, but I know I saw this in the movie theater, so I don't know how old I was or if this is PG or PG-13, but I do know I saw this in the movie theater probably twice, and uh, it was probably right around the exact uh, target demographic, uh, like like a, a teen goofball. Uh, that the movie was be boy, teen boy goofball, like suburban ass. Uh, uh But so okay, so so let's see. Oh, so, but I think it's been played so much on cable, and it's not that it's like. A, I think probably some of the humor. I think it's a movie that just is best of flowing, and a lot of the jokes don't stand up if you're overexposed to them. At least I'm, like I, because I haven't seen the movie. In a long time, uh, because I just have like, uh, like, uh, I just like, it's just like some other like snacks that I've had too much, like, uh, Trader Joe's, uh, uh, deep chocolate covered JoJo's with, uh, uh, peppermint. I had those like three Christmases in a row. I'd eat them by the box and now I can't touch them. And I guess this probably depends on your opinion of like, uh, the, the actors in it and like a uh, relationship with Chevy Chase, but this was like, uh, or, like, uh, I guess this was like a uh, middle late Chevy Chase, uh, and I feel like this was a good role. Uh, now he he did have another role. Uh, I don't know if that was a holiday movie, but I associated with the holiday season where he moved to the country. It was kind of like uh, uh, to write a book with his wife, and they bought a like maybe they even bought a bed and breakfast, and the whole town didn't want them there or something. But I don't remember, I don't know why I was thinking of that, but, uh, so give this a chance. I mean, you fall asleep to it because this episode, that's the whole purpose anyway. And plus I'm not going to remember like, uh, well, who knows how much I don't remember. Uh, cause it's just like a, like a, like a, I think as a kid, it's just like a sequence of, uh, events. Uh, and I guess at the end there's there is like a through plot, uh, with what Chevy Chase wants his character who Wallace, no, no, that's not his name. Uh, Cliff Griswold, Clark, Clark Griswold. And this movie was like a sequel, a third sequel to a national lampoon's vacation, which is definitely, uh, that movie's unbelievable. And that one definitely holds up, uh, even though it's older, uh, I think, uh, or maybe I've just seen it le- a little bit less uh, in the National Lampoon's European Vacation, which I've watched uh, bits and pieces of when it's been on TV. Uh, but uh, I think I started watching it one time recently, in the last when I say recently, in the last two years. But so uh, yeah, so I don't know. Um, okay, so the movie opens. So Let's get to the good stuff here. With I think it opens with a uh, like a. Uh, like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, an animated, like pink Panther esque uh, opening, or that could be how the movie ends. Either way, I don't really remember. And now that I'm thinking about it and thinking about it wrong, I think, I think it's like Santa Claus is the clumsy goofy character. And it, this is just how I'm remembering it, that Santa goes to a house, uh, and this is while the, t- the titles are playing. I think this is what happens. And uh, Santa just has a terrible time getting into this house. And it's kind of like a comic foil. Even though, like Prattfall, Like Santa, you know, has trouble on the roof. Uh, has trouble with the uh, Christmas lights. Uh, uh, like even at one point does like a zip line with the candy cane. Um and it just has a terrible time getting into the house. Probably, like, run, runs amok. I, I don't know. but it's just, So it's pretty funny. And it's animated. But I guess I don't remember a lot of it. I think it was well done and very colorful, too. And set to the title song, which kind of had, like, a... It wasn't, like, a totally in Kenny Loggins, like, a, a territory. Uh, but, like, pretty close. Like, Kenny Loggins, I think... Uh, was Kenny Loggins do the second Caddyshack or both the theme songs for both Caddyshack movies? Uh, uh, But this was like a little bit lighter version, a little more sing-songy maybe than a kid, like less poppy than Kenny Loggins, but still a pop feel. And I don't know who did it, but maybe we'll look that up or maybe it was just done for the movie. And so then the movie opens, and it opens in a, uh, like, a, actually, I think, like, this was the beginning of Ford Tauruses. It may have opened in a Ford Taurus station wagon. And those of you that didn't grow up in the 80s would not know this. And I could be completely rewriting history. Uh, but for me, like, the Ford Taurus was the first aspirational family sedan uh, for people that, like, weren't in, like, the, or at least uh, people, like, in my class, uh, like, uh the middle class a- aspirational family. It was, like, one of the first uh, things that seemed like it was designed in a wind tunnel. And it was marketed that way. And then, like, the kids that were, like, a little bit above you on the food chain just started getting these toruses that were shaped like the future whether first it was a Ford Taurus sedan, then there was a Ford Taurus station wagon. I was still in wood wood panelled. Uh, we had we had two different wood panelled uh, station wagons. We had you know eight people in my family, and then one powder blue one without wood paneling, and I think the order went uh, uh, powder. Oh no, we had a green one too. Maybe we never had a we had a powder blue. Uh, wood paneled one or sky blue, then a navy blue wood paneled one, and maybe then at like a, like a, like kind of like a soft green, uh, one. Maybe we never had, should, did we ever have a powder blue one? I mean, we had the powder blue wood panel. Then we went to a hot dog van that was colored like a hot dog. So those, those were like, uh, so we didn't have any Tauruses, uh, but, you know, product, really well-placed product placement, if I, if it's true, and I remember it this far, it's like, holy cow, did you get, I mean, now I don't know if I've ever owned a Ford, uh, but, uh, you know, it's pretty good product placement, because I just talked about it, uh, I don't even know if our Ford Taurus is still on the road, it, like, do they have a Taurus uh, plug-in hybrid, or just an electric one, uh, so... That's how it opens with that car going through like a kind of wooded road, a highway. And then we see Chevy Chase is driving. Beverly D'Angelo is the passenger. And we get the reveal of the children uh, who I believe, uh, I can't think of their names right now, but Juliette Lewis is is the daughter, I believe, in this movie a uh, beloved 80s actress, and I just watched another movie that she was in when I was at a hotel recently uh, that she was spectacular in. Uh, and then um, uh, the kid from, from uh, he's now an adult. I know I know his name, and he's like on the most successful, like uh, my dad w- loves this show, and now I can't even think of it because I was going to think about his third rock from the sun. But it's like the most popular show. Sheldon is the um the prequel to it. Uh, I'll think of it, and I'll think of his name. Oh, I just had it, and it just passed out. Oh, I just had it again. It just passed out. But he's really good. That show's really good. My dad loves it. Uh, big Bang Theory, and it's my dad's favorite show. And Sheldon, my dad's a big fan of Sheldon too. He t- he's quoted the Sheldon show to me a few times on the phone. He said, "You know what happened on this week, Sheldon." So that's where I get my life. Le- that's where I get my life lessons from. Um, okay, okay. Oh, uh, Johnny Galecki. That's uh, Johnny Galecki. I think I. I well, holy cow! I did not. They, like, uh, thank you, Brain. Uh, so those are the children, and they're all in a car, and they're headed to go get a Christmas tree. And the kids are like, uh, I think they're, is it in this movie? Like, the kids are kind of resistant, and it's very good acting uh, now they think about it, because they're like, uh, geez, Dad, why do we got to go, why don't we just buy a tree like a normal, and Clark as well, it's like, no, I want to chop a tree down. And he wants to chop it down in the wild, uh, because, yeah, because I don't know. And then, uh, let's see what happens next is, uh, um, I guess they go to the woods and they find a tree. Wait a second. uh, I'm picturing something else, but we'll we'll come back to that. But so they go to a tree and they go, of course they like have to hike out and everybody's freezing. And Clark, uh, and if you're, you're, you can, this introduces you to Clark as well to remind you that Clark is like this nostalgic uh, dreamer. And he has these uh, kind of fantasies of like family unity through symbols and uh, through shared experience, which I guess isn't totally incorrect. It's just a little misguided. And that this is going to be this bonding experience and finding the perfect tree is what makes the perfect Christmas. So I don't remember, like, I think there's a hassle with getting a tree cut down, and they just go into the woods and cut down a tree. Then somehow they get on the roof of their car, not without difficulty, or maybe they even have to drive with it in the car, and it's filling up the whole car. I don't remember that part. And uh, then they get on the road, and they run into some trouble on the road with, like, uh, like some car like with uh like uh some tufts or something that says like raw dog or something and clark you know clark is uh, like he he has like a like he's like a passive aggressive like overboil or whatever, so he gets a little like road competitive and uh then they do they do a trick move where they go under this lumber truck uh in the meanwhile, this whole family was like, Clark, what are you doing? And Beverly D'Angelo, whose character's name I don't remember, uh, she's always trying to be the voice of reason and saying, Clark, Clark, Clark. Uh, and so then they somehow extricated themselves through, through that. And I thought they, like, jumped over a giant uh, a snowbank into a tree lot. um but that would make sense with some of the later plot, uh, that they still have a tree on their thing, uh, the, the, cause the tree that they cut down in the wild plays uh, like more, more than one role in the show. So then they get home and, uh, yeah, they get the tree in the house and it's way too big. Um, and like, uh. Uh, it looks like, like, it's like a 30 foot tree or something. And then they're like, uh, uh, it, it like breaks their windows. It also, they we'll meet their next door neighbors who are 80s yuppies. Uh, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and I'm not sure who the, uh, the other actor is. And I think this all takes place in the Chicago suburbs. Um, but Julia Louis-Dreyfus is, uh. Like and her husband are yuppies and they don't like their neighbors because uh, 'cause they're suburban buffoons, uh their neighbors and uh so I think that's the first trouble. Like it breaks a window. We learn I think that there's like some squirrels in the tree. Uh, but I'm not positive about that. Uh uh, but Clark has to do a bunch of cut trimming with um his uh He's like, oh, I'll trim the tree down. And then he gets covered in sap, uh, which for a while becomes this ongoing thing where his sap's stuck to his hands. Um, then uh, we see Clark at work. Uh, I think in this, this is probably still in the like Act 1 area where Clark kind of talks about what he's going to do. He works for like a food additives company, which I thought, I, I thought this part was smart, like these little jokes. Um, and there's some jokes, and then there's their new boss, and Clark's talking about, uh, like, they, they get these Christmas bonuses. I've, I don't think I've ever worked at a job that I had a Christmas bonus uh, that I know of. Maybe when I was selling iron-on patches for my friends, I got a Christmas bonus, but I'm not sure. Uh, but, like, uh, I, could, I just never had that kind of job. Uh, But he's talking about spending his Christmas bonus, and then he says he already spent it on a, a swimming pool. down payment and then it's that that's going to be again much like the tree that this swimming pool is going to be this like source of uh masculine power and success for him and family bonding and it's going to make him the breadwinner and they're just going to have a lot of fun with it and he's kind of talking to his two companions one of his companions is a very uh actor that's present in a lot of these movies. I think he comes out of Second City uh or the Cana- or out of uh like uh, the kind of Canadian version of Second City maybe uh but he's someone very recognizable and they're saying, whoa Clark, slow down. We didn't get the bonuses yet. This new boss is a big on, you know, the numbers and then I think Clark gets called into the boss's office and the boss can't remember his name. He keeps going just like, it's like a podcast. Uh, anyway, Freddie, he says, you know, what's going on with, uh, and, and there's a lot of cool jokes about, uh, you know, ways that are what they're doing a breakfast cereal and the manufacturer, they're in the manufactured food business. Uh, so that's a fun scene. Yeah. Uh, then we have the scene with Clark, uh, uh, putting up, uh, Christmas lights. And that's like a day long scene. And I think he causes more trouble for Julia Louis-Dreyfus and her husband. And there's a lot of comedy in that scene. And Rusty is the son. Who he calls Russ a lot. Uh, uh, he's trying to help. And he's like, uh, he also tries to be the voice of reason at different times. Uh, the son and the daughter uh and and uh the mother uh and he like he's even trying to say gee said you get all these big expectations you build up to to the meaning you put so much meaning in these events uh you know it's okay we just love you for who you are and he says no russ we're gonna have the greatest lights in the history of the world uh And so you get, like, a bunch of funny sequences of, like, Clark, you know, getting into trouble, just like Santa did, putting this extreme light thing on the house. And I think, like, uh, I think this movie, like, even though it's, like, more like a series of scenes, it does seem like it's structured, like, the beats-wise pretty well. I guess, maybe not. It's just, like, at least in my mind. Because then Clark, uh, he put so much work into it. And then he builds it up, and then he finally gets done, despite his family's objections and despite everybody's doubts and despite the hurdles and the difficulties. Uh, he gets all the lights set out, and he says, come on, everybody, come outside. And they're still resistant. Oh, it it's cold or whatever. And he says, come outside, please. This is a big one for the lights. And then he goes to light it, and it doesn't light. And then he goes and tries a couple things, and it still won't light. And then maybe he tries one more thing. And it's so all light, and he goes, really loses it. Uh, so much from know that they have, like, decorations in their lawn. And he starts yelling at Santa. And I think he even tosses Santa. Like, they have a little plastic Santa and reindeer. And he's like, uh, th- this is, like, the funny part of his character is that, like, when he boils over, it's a very comedic. And he's yelling at Santa, the plastic Santa in just this exasperated way and he's defeated and right in his moment of defeat, uh, uh, or maybe he says, I'm going to do one more try. And then his wife accidentally flicks on the switch. It was just the, the light switch in the garage was off. Uh, and, uh, he, she turns it on and the lights go on and then they go off again. And then somehow they solve that and the lights are saved. And it's this unbelievable light, like, uh, so bright, it, like, drains the power, annoys the yuppies, uh, so that they crash into, like, their, uh, shrimp flambé or something. And you can see it, like, from outer space, and it's beautiful, and there's the music, and, uh, uh, then we just get this great sequence, like, he starts to cry, and, uh, He's so happy, like his moment of, uh, family unity has been achieved and the lights are symbol of his success, uh, or like the, like a success in of itself. And then he's crying and then he sees, uh, that he's leaning on Randy Quaid, uh, and, uh, like he's weeping and then he says, geez, it, isn't it beautiful, Clark? And Randy play, Quaid plays this character. Whose uh, name I don't re- remember right right off the top of my head, but uh, like kind of from uh, like his, his he's uh, uh, I think Beverly D'Angelo. I never understood it. Maybe he's married to Beverly D'Angelo's sister. I, I think in the first movie I tried to figure it out a few different times and I couldn't quite uh, if he and Beverly D'Angelo are related or if his wife and Beverly D'Angelo are related. But Randy Quaid's, like, dressed in, like, flip-flops, boxers, and, like, a bathrobe or something insane. And he's like, oh, isn't that beautiful, Clark? And usually he's, like, smoking and disheveled and spitting and that kind of thing. And uh, I almost thought of his name there. But uh, Clark says, what in the heck are you doing here? Uh, And he says, well, uh, good news, bad news. Uh... He goes, aren't you at home? He goes, this is our home. And we see this, like, old old RV. And, uh, like, he goes, well, the bank, you know, we had issues at the bank, so now we live in this RV. It's great. Uh, But we just coasted into town on fumes, and uh, I guess it is Beverly D'Angelo and his wife, because she's like, oh, Ellen, that's her name, Uh, I think, uh, Beverly D'Angelo's character. Uh, because the the sisters, they greet and they're happy and Clark's like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, so you're going to stay here for, and he goes, oh yeah, you want us to see, he goes, how about we stay in an RV so we can have some alone time and our kids stay in your house. Uh, then we meet the children. I think we only meet two children. One is a young little boy who looks like a bit like Elvis. And that's all I kind of remember about him. He's like quiet. He's like very, uh, he's very nice eyes, uh, like a very cute kid. And then we meet a, a sister who's also young, like probably, I don't know, six years old, seven years old. And, uh, her name's like Trudy or Rudy or something. And, uh, she, she's very nice and she's very, she's very verbose. I think the kid doesn't talk. The boy doesn't talk. I don't think. Like, and there's a funny joke in there. Like, uh, goes down a well, eyes go crossed, uh, kicked by a mule, eyes go uncrossed, or something that Randy Newman says. But then he doesn't, now he doesn't speak or something. And uh, Ruby, I think, is the girl's name. Oh, I forgot about a whole nother element, which I think played into the lights, uh, which is also both sets of in laws arrive. So Clark's father and mother. And Ellen's father and mother are are there, and maybe they're there for the light drama, and uh, that's kind of like a total disaster. Uh, like like Clark has the expectations of his parents who love him, and then he can never meet the expectations of his in laws. So I think that was like the other thing, of like the challenges when he was doing the lights was like just give up, just give up, Clark, just give up, son. Like, just you come inside, uh, you're too much, you're getting too too much like Don Quixote here. Uh, so that was, like, another part of, like, why, like, it had such an emotional charge when he did succeed. Because he could show, see, in-laws, I'm good, and, and see, mom and dad, I kept, I kept at it, and I succeeded. But also I, I think like it adds a nice element having the in-laws there like with Randy Newman's Randy Randy Quaid's kids uh uh because then it just adds like this humanity like the grandparents can kind of dote over the um i don't know otherwise like uh it just like cuz Ruby's like this really cute voice of wisdom uh in believer and believer in Santa Claus uh like, she's a tr- true believer in Christmas for this uh, episode or this uh, movie. And uh, I think, like, having her grandparents there kind of adds, like, uh, I don't know, like an emotional layer that if it was just her, like, if there's no intermediaries, you know, like, uh, like if it was just the Quates and uh, Clark and Ellen and, and their two children, it probably would, uh, plus having the in-laws and Clark's parents adds this extra, like I said, emotional charge. Okay, so that is like, uh, so then he says, you gotta be kidding me. So then he probably gets in bed. And I think that when he gets in bed, he's reading a magazine and complaining to Alan and getting, getting all these magazine pages stuck to him while he's like, uh, you gotta be kidding me. Eddie, that's his name. Eddie, uh, Randy Quaid's character, Eddie and I'll think of it and your sister. Yeah. He says, uh. But he's going off. He's like, I can't believe they're going to be here. And then, uh, uh, he find like they find out. Uh, Clark's like, uh, finds out. Oh well, like also we're going to help them with Christmas because they can't afford. Like Ellen's very generous, and Clark really is generous, I guess, in some way. But he's also resistant to things outside of his control and unpredictable things that don't fit into his plan. Uh, so having them here, like, uh. It gets irritated by the generosity. And so, uh, whatever. Uh, and this is all building towards Christmas Eve. So then the next day comes and they go shopping. And uh, this is when I didn't live in a city with Walmart. This was before Walmart was good. So the one place they go is Walmart. And uh, what's the guy's name? I already forgot. Uh, Eddie has, okay, we have a list of all the presents the kids want, at Clark. So here you go. And he buys like, uh, like all this like dog food. Cause also they have this dog, uh, that likes people's legs and is a little bit mangy and kind of eats her everything. Uh, and so, uh, let's see. So yeah, so that happens. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. So they go to the, they go to the store, then they go to the mall I think the mall scene is that also Clark's like a romantic because he's nostalgic. Uh, So he wants to get this perfume for his wife as a beautiful gift. But then he also, it's like a nostalgic romantic fantasy person. So then he gets kind of like uh, caught up in an imaginary fantasy. And I don't know if there's any other comedic scenes at the mall. I would think that there would have been like some sort of physical comedy but usually then Alan kind of shows up his wife and says what are you doing Clark uh, and he says well I was buying you a gift and uh, like this next person just wanted to help me so that was so that's that sequence then uh they go sledding i guess would be the next sequence uh which is like a quick scene but that was like one of the funniest scenes for me like uh they all go sledding, and then Clark has to do it. And he says, uh, he has this uh, spray can with him. And he says, uh, they say, well, what are you going to do, Clark? And he sprays one of the, like, a aluminum uh, circular sled, like one of those dish-style uh, dish ones. Uh, and he sprays it, and he says, this is this industrial lubricant we're using, I don't even know, for, like, frosted flakes or something. And he's like 10 times uh, slipper, slipperier than oil. And they say, okay, Clark. Uh, and then he goes and he goes so fast on the sled that like, uh, he goes down the hill. Across the parking lot, goes on a jump, like through a sign. And, uh, just like a quick, that's like one of the things that just doesn't stand up. The first few times you see it, it's hilarious. Uh, but after a while, you say, but I don't know, maybe this emotional, like trying to see the richness in the emotions. Uh, so then there's that sequence. Um, then I think that's it. Like there's probably one more. Oh no. So then there's the night uh, before Christmas Eve, I think is the next one. Uh, so this night, and Clark's alone. And he sees Ruby, uh, like, uh, or I think that's her name. And she says, like, uh, Clark's, like, fantasizing about the swimming pool. Like, he's looking out his window and staring at his backyard and imagining a swimming pool there and imagining, like, that's going to give him this uh, this vi- vi- vitality and this success and this family unity. And then Ruby says, "Uh, Clark, what are you doing? I thought you were Santa Claus, uh, Uncle Clark. Uh, And he says, no. And then she says, well, she said, I don't know, like if I believe in Santa because last year we didn't get presents because that's because we were moving. And uh, uh, we see her kind of softness. And Clark says, don't worry, I believe in Santa. And I believe in, you know, Ruby, you're a guest and Santa's going to find you. I'll make sure of it. And I guess that, like, helps us, like, roof for Clark again. And then I think the next day is Christmas Eve. And so we have the Christmas Eve build, which kind of seems like, uh, you know, Clark and his, like, Clark having run-ins with his in-laws and his parents, and uh, they say, don't get car- too carried away tonight, Clark, uh. And I'm trying to think what else, like, uh, probably some buildup, uh, during the day, or maybe that's when they went sledding. I want to say, though, um, I'm trying to think what else, like, if there was another transition. But I can't think of one. But, uh, yeah, then we have the big lead up, uh, to Christmas Eve and everybody getting ready. And Clark and everybody, Clark having these big expectations. And then, uh, I guess the arrival of guests, uh, if I think of like a transition scene before that, uh, uh, but we also see that the dog is like, uh, or, uh, uh oh, with we, we, more trouble with the neighbors, uh, Randy Newman emptying all the RV stuff right into the sewer and then having some toxicity, uh, maybe something with the dog. I can't remember. Uh, definitely Julia Louis-Dreyfus, like, slowly, like, I, I remember she looks out the window at Randy Newman and just saying, like, what a beast that dude is, uh, and when does, like, uh, I'm trying to think when they get fed up, uh, uh maybe in another few minutes, uh, but then Christmas Eve arrives, uh, so the guests start to arrive first, so we already had everybody like, Clark, and everybody gets stressed up for Christmas Eve. Uh, so if Clark, Ellen, and the two kids, uh, and, and uh, Ellen's parents, Clark's parents, Eddie and his wife, uh, Carolyn, maybe, and their two kids, Ruby and uh, Elvis, uh, and then a dog, Uh then, like, an older aunt and an older uncle come together. I don't know if they're in a relationship or... Like a really, really old aunt and then a fairly, fairly old uncle. So maybe like 80s and uh, 70s and 80s, I'd say. Maybe even 90s. uh, And there's a lot of like uh, kind of cheaper geriatric jokes. uh, But I think at the time, uh, uh, the, the, the acting was pretty good. But so... She she arrives and then the the prep for dinner is going and of course there's like comedy there like the turkey doesn't turn out right uh, the older aunt or whatever grandmother uh uh her uh she made some gelatin, but she also uh, topped it with cat food uh, she brings her cat as a present uh, so then they let the cat out uh, and uh, then. What else happens next uh yeah, like the uncle he's like kind of like uh like he's like uh kind of like a jerk and he's smoking, and he like just throws his cigars wherever he wants, and then there's a build up to dinner, and there's these moose glasses that they're drinking eggnog out of that are like uh seem like a thing, but I don't really remember them that much from the movie, like just at some point uh. Uh, things, so, turkey goes bad. Then, at some point, uh, uh, the dog trashes the kitchen, like gets into the garbage. Uh, uh, so, they can say, I can't believe you, the dog did that. Then the cat, the um, grandmother's cat or the aunt's cat, uh, uh, gets too much into the tree uh, and goes, goes to the big farm where they keep all the pets. Uh, then, um, what else happens next? Uh, then they discover there's a squirrel in the tree. That's right at dinner. Like right when they sit down at dinner and then Clark, uh, says, makes a big speech and extend. It seems like the calm things have gotten calm again. Uh, they say, okay, like, uh, okay, everything's calm. We're going to eat dinner now which we'll make the best of the bad situation. And then a squirrel comes out of the tree and it creates total chaos. Uh, uh, like somebody faints, uh, it jumps on people, uh, the dog runs through, and, uh, um, whatever, like, uh, windows are breaking, things are flying, and they fly into the house next door. Uh, Julia Lou, Louis Dreyfus says, I can't, this is it. Like, uh, Either you go over there or I go over there to her husband. He goes, well, I don't want to deal with this. So she goes, I'll go over there because like, I had enough and I can't take it anymore. These neighbors are rude. So she goes over there. Meanwhile, they're chasing the dog and the cat or the dog and the squirrel. And at that point, it becomes like a bonding thing and kind of funny. Like, uh, I think one of, I think the uh, Clark's dad's uh, someone famous too but they kind of try to sneak up on the squirrel and then they finally chase it out the front door right when Julia Louis-Dreyfus gets there. So she's had enough. And then she goes in and tells, so she says to her husband, you're, you're like, uh, like he goes, how'd it go? And she goes to like, uh, I need a night off from this relationship. And then, uh, the house is like, it seems like Christmas is ruined, right? Uh, uh like it can't get any worse uh um i think this is a moment and then the doorbell rings and uh in the midst of the chaos or maybe this is before the chaos but uh clark says listen i know things aren't going great i know i'm a buffoon but this is a courier and the courier uh it has my christmas bonus so i've been waiting for it. i don't know where it is but uh here it is uh and I have a big announcement that I'm putting in a swimming pool and I'm going to host y'all this summer uh, because I like, I believe in the, you know, power of swimming pools to unite family bonding. And he goes, go ahead, Rusty or somebody open it up or Ellen. And they say, okay, you're subscribed to a year long subscription of the fruitcake of a month club. And then Clark goes and, you know, he loses his temper. And starts, uh, like, going off on a tangent, uh, and he says, geez, like, what kind of cheap move is that? I'd love to, and everybody's mad, like, uh, but Clark's over the top. And he says, gee, I will. like, wish to see my boss here and just tell my opinion of him for being so cheap. And you see a light go off over, uh, Randy Newman's head. and Then they recover again, or maybe this is, you know, like, it might be out of sequence, but, uh. And everybody's kind of like, okay, well, uh, it wasn't the greatest Christmas, but, uh, we have this one last tradition where we read the night before Christmas. And, uh, he Clark goes to his father, are you going to read it, dad. And he goes, no, Clark, uh, you are, he goes, it's your house. It's your holiday. Go for it. And everybody, like, he gets all into it and he's got his hat on. And it's like this, like, uh, Christmas interlude or holiday interlude where everybody's again, he's actually getting what he wants right here. Almost, uh, despite things not going well, there's like, uh, this again, moment of like, uh, togetherness, uh, where he's excited. And then while that's playing out, we're seeing a sequence where Randy Newman goes, uh, to, to go get Clark's boss and say, Hey, come on down. Uh, to say Clark wants to talk to you and he says well I'd rather not go and he, Randy Newman says well uh let me talk you into it and right at the height of Clark reading it like what uh, wondering I should appear uh but uh you know uh Uncle Eddie and my boss out on the lawn and the boss comes and meanwhile the wife is at home and said hey this uh This greaser or whatever came and, wanted, you know, we were trying to eat dinner. And uh, he was a beast of a man. And he took took my husband to one of his employees' houses. And that's, like, uh, unethical. So she calls the ethics team. But so the boss is there. And the boss is played by, again, another character, actor, whose name escapes me, who excels in these kind of roles. And he has the perfect voice for it. So he plays this jerky boss and he says, what is the meaning of all this? Like, look at these, like, uh, plebs, uh, despite their house being huge, uh, you know, he says, and, and then they say, uh, listen, man, like we have a legit gripe. Uh, why would you? And then Ellen is actually the leader who says, my husband has a point, uh, like what kind of person? And then Rusty and the grandfathers, they all, the grandmothers, they all get into it. And they kind of shame the CEO or whatever for saying, uh, you know, people rely on these bonuses. If you're not going to give them, tell them a long time ahead of time, uh, don't leave them hanging or maybe give uh, some bonuses because that's like, uh, absurd. And the boss says, I guess you're right. Uh, what were you doing? Were you reading the night before Christmas? And Clark says, yeah, let me just finish up or something. And then right then the ethics squad comes like full force. Uh, and, uh, they say, okay, like, uh, you're busted. I think at some point the boss writes a check, uh, but maybe that wasn't until later. Uh, and like, uh, the w- wife of the CEO's there, she says the ethics squad's here to create, you know, so you're not like, uh, affiliating with these, uh, line level employees, uh, and the boss says, "I actually worked it out." She goes, "Well, what did they want anyway?" And he goes, "Well, I canceled all the Christmas bonuses." And then his wife, and then all the ethics team, they say, "Well, what kind of person cancels Christmas bonuses that are planned for?" And they kind of shame him, and they say, "Okay, we're going to leave." Then he writes a check, I think, and says, uh, "You know, this one's for your pool, man. Uh, enjoy it. You know, when it you know down the road." And then I think, I don't know how the movie ends, to be honest with you, but, uh, like at some point it ends after that, uh, yeah, I don't know how it, oh, uh, they all go outside. I think what happens is, uh, the gas, uh, from the RV, is that the, the note in the movie ends? And I guess so. Yeah. Like, uh, the gas from the RV in the sewer, uh, like, uh, shoots the Santa, Uh, up from the ground and it shoots across the sky, uh, just like, uh, uh, like, uh, like, uh, it looks like a meteor, but Ruby's there with Clark and she says, Santa's on his way here to give me a gift, uh, that I've been deprived of. And then maybe there's an, like a unity song, like at the end of Scrooge, but then everybody's together and uh, looking at that moment and sharing it, and uh, the movie came to a close. Okay, let's just... It came out in 1989. Huh, so I guess I'm... I don't know if it's PG. I can't believe I saw it. Uh, it was written by John Hughes, uh, director, directed by uh, Jeremiah... Shekik... Shekik... uh, uh it was based on a short story from National Lampoon's magazine, Christmas of 59, or Christmas 59. It stars Chevy Chase, uh, Beverly D'Angelo, Randy Quaid, uh, Juliet Lewis, and uh, Johnny Galecki, produced by John Hughes. Uh, music is by Angelo Baldamente. Baldamente. Uh, cinematographies by Thomas E. Ackerman, No Relation, uh, came out December 1st, 1989, 97 minutes. Uh, its budget was $25 million and the box office was seventy one. but I'm sure it made a lot more than that. I guess it was a, a direct-to-TV sequel. I saw that when I was looking for—holiday movies aren't really on the streaming services, I guess because all the cable TV channels have them. I think, uh, bonus, uh, uh, cast, uh, who else do we have? John Randolph is Clark senior, Diane Ladd, EG Marshall, Doris Roberts. Uh, so a lot of famous uh, people are in this. That I didn't realize. Oh, Ruby Sue. Rocky was the boy's name. Catherine is Eddie's wife, uh, played by Miriam Flynn. Uh, Sam McMurray is Bill. Uh, Frank Shirley, Brian Doyle Murray is the uh, actor. Julia Louis Dreyfus, Nicholas Guest is was uh, Julia Louis dreyfus husband. Todd. Uh, let's see any other things. Uh, uh, John Hughes had originally written the story uh, for the 1980 issue of National Lampoon's Magazine. And the studio begged for another one. uh, But uh, he said it was a little more than a Chevy Chase vehicle. Uh, It was shot in uh, Summit County, Colorado, Silverthorne, Breckenridge, and Frisco. And then on the Warner uh, Studios facilities in Burbank. Lindsay Buckingham had done Holiday Road for the first movie. That was a classic. it was the only installment not to have that movie in it. Uh, Barry Mann and Cynthia Wheel, and it was performed by Mavis Staples of Staples Singers fame. It was also covered by high school musical star Monique Coleman for a Disney Channel holiday album. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Let's see what else. Uh, number two at the box office. Uh, oh, Back to the Future 2 came out the same weekend. Holy mackerel. And critical response, uh, again, mixed to positive reviews, uh, many people have called it a Christmas, Christmas classic, 64% on Rotten Tomatoes for film critics. Uh, it's a variety set of positive film. So Roger Deber gave the film film two out of four stars. Curious in how close it comes to delivering sequences after sequences seem to contain all the necessary material on the way toward a payoff, but somehow it doesn't work. I guess it kind of worked for kids and hopefully it worked uh, as a sleep podcast. Thanks for listening and good night.